Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Catherine Marshall Woods on the line. Catherine, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. I've been on your show and I know I'll be on it again because, well, technology sometimes is not our friend, including about five minutes before uh, we started because my internet decided to stop working. Like, hmm, that's not good. Um, It would be okay if I was in the middle of like watching a movie or something. I was like, okay, I can watch it later. But no, this is one of those things where we record this live, so you kind of have to have it working live. So. Anyway, technology is always a fun thing. So the work you do in you know is in the media uh, and also psychology. And as we were talking about in the pre-show, right now uh, the psychological needs of many are in not the greatest of shapes because of the pandemic and all the ingredients that that has with it. So tell us a little bit about your backstory and, and what you do, and then we'll dive into some conversation about it. Yeah, well, great. Um, So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, I have a specialty in trauma and psychological assessments. Um, I also have a private practice here in Washington, D.C., um, I also am a professor at the George Washington University where I teach trauma and psych testing. And I have a particular interest in the area of psychology and media, specifically in cinema, but I'm finding that my interest is broadening as things are happening in the world regarding COVID and Black Lives Matter and what the impact and influence media has on people right now. I've been a psychologist for more than a decade, almost coming up on a score, to be quite honest. And um, prior to that, I had an arts background. So this gave me the opportunity to really combine both of my loves, psychology, as well as the art world. No, it's a diverse background, but they all connect in, in a variety of different ways. And, and definitely the psychology of, you know, the Black Lives Matter, the riots, the reasoning for it, um, you know, the travesties that we've seen and, and the movement uh, has been inspiring for me because during a pandemic, especially right now, there's great opportunity for us to correct some things and uh, take stock in, in how things were, quite frankly, not working in a variety of different arenas and figuring out, okay, what can we do as a human race better than what we were before because of this pandemic? And my fear is that one, you know, right now everyone is having so much anxiety and stress and burnout and everything else that when things get back to, I don't want to say normal because normal won't be here anymore, but whatever normal is, I don't think we'll have uh, as many people that have, would have made the necessary improvements in their life that, that should have. Because, and even in a statistic that I, we talked about again in the pre-show, probably should have recorded that. But anyway, um, Cleveland Clinic had released a study where 69% of people surveyed say that they're burned out right now. But no one is really getting help about that. And for somebody that works with people that are dealing with burnout, you, in, in the, all of the work that you do, 
Um, that's a specialty. It's like helping people navigate through stressful times and, and problems uh, emotionally, physically, and, and mentally. Uh, the fact that people aren't getting help is really concerning to me. So I'd, I'd love to ask you, why do you think people don't ask for help? You know, what are some common things that you've seen in, in those that finally um, start reaching uh, out to you and people like you to get help? Why, why is there such a big wall that they put up uh, to seek guidance and help when it comes to challenges like this? Mm-hmm. That is a very loaded question you're asking. Um, and uh, we see that, of course, some individuals experience mental health and, and burnout just in general. It's having a stigma that there's no need to get help, that one shouldn't have to get help to be able to overcome the stressors and the demands of their life. That if they are overcome by these stressors and feeling overwhelmed, that it's a personal failure to some extent. Then there's other individuals who really struggle to be able to say, I need help, and they don't want other individuals to know that they need help. Um, There's a level of humility that comes with the idea that you can't navigate your world in a successful way without assistance. Um, And so it prolongs individuals from being able to reach out. Other individuals really feel like they don't know where to look. They don't know where their resources are. And so that becomes an overwhelming stress um, and a demand upon them, one that they are no longer uh, fit or have the energy to be able to exude to be able to then find help. Other individuals really struggle that once they realize that they do need help and they can't do um, the work alone, is that when they do reach out to resources, they find that those resources are also taxed, that caregivers um, and individual coaches and things of sort have full caseloads, that they don't have openings for one other individual on their um, workload. Otherwise, they'll become burnt out um, as well. And individuals are really um, being thoughtful regarding what their boundaries are of how many people can they help. Because you're right, with COVID and as well as Black Lives Matter, you know, there are many individuals who are reaching out for help. And then there are caregivers and coaches who are just feeling pretty overwhelmed themselves in being able to navigate COVID, also navigate the energy around Black Lives Movement, and also taking on new cases to be of assistance, and also realizing that they can't take on anymore. And then there's a dearth of individuals who are really available to help. Yeah, I saw that article too, where you know there are many psychologists and other mental health professionals that are struggling with depression and burnout. And this is one of those things where people need to realize everyone is human. You know, psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, lawyers, attorneys, parents—we're all human, and we all struggle with things. And when you're in the middle of a pandemic like this, with still a bit of uncertainty and you know, concern and worry about a lot of things, uh, it, it takes a toll on all of us. And there's a desperate need for you know, more mental health workers to be available because. As the stigma eases up, and I know that there's been a stigma about this a long time, but it's easing up a bit, a long way to go in my opinion, but still it's easing up. What we're going to find is we're going to have, and we already know this, we have an extreme shortage of people that work in this space, and we need more. And mm-hmm. but Because caseloads, you know, everybody says, well, you know, you, we can't take on one more person. It's like, well, 
the cases that therapists see, the stories that we hear are devastating. You know, some of the stories we've heard are would crush people if they weren't prepared and didn't have the defense mechanisms to kind of shield themselves from that empathy becoming too personal and taking it in. Uh, but still, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. We hear tragic stories of people that we know and love that have gone through some bad things and people we don't even know that well. But, you know, the stories are, are pretty horrific. And taking on another person, if you haven't been able to cope and deal with learning and hearing about those things, the next thing you know, the um, the therapist becomes the patient. And and that happens, unfortunately, a lot just because we're human and, and we're in the caring business. We do care. That's why we do this work. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's not an easy go. So, again, I you know, having said that, it's fine to go get help. You Absolutely. don't have to fight this alone. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. You haven't failed. You know, and I think that you know all those self-limiting doubts that kick in when people are approaching to get therapy kick in. I know that personally. I've had therapy myself, and uh, it, it's one of those things where I'm I'm thrilled that I did it because it helped me break through some things that had been a problem in my life for a lot longer than I thought. Uh, but then when you start peeling back the onion in a little bit, uh, you go, ooh, okay, that's where that took place. Okay. And it, it helps you grow and move on from it so those things don't impact you the same way that they did before. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to you when you said that everyone's human, including, let's say, mental health professionals. We are all human and we're living in the world with the patients that we treat. And so, yes, we do hear these stories that are their life narratives, that they're coming to therapy to be able to work through. And some of them are devastating. Some of them are tragic. Some of them are traumatic. And then outside of that, once the day is done, then we are exposed to other aspects of trauma, our cultural trauma, really, that's happening in the world right now with, let's say, COVID, that we are not immune to some of the concerns that people have regarding how to be safe in COVID, how to navigate in a new way, how to be flexible in the way that you navigate, most importantly, how to be safe when you're navigating the world. Um, and what people are feeling when they see that individuals lose their lives from the hands of police officers, um, what that feels like for us and what we want to do as well as providers and how do we get involved as mental health professionals in a way that honors who we are personally, but also who we are as a profession. Yes, and it's... It boils down to you know, seek to understand, I think, is one thing that I tell people in, in every aspect of life, whether it's in conflicts with other people or society or political nature or anything like that. Seek to, other, seek to understand the other party's point of view, where they're coming from, in a calm matter. Because unfortunately, sometimes the noise is way up here and no one can hear. All they're hearing is yelling and screaming. They're not hearing the actual content of what people are saying. Because what you find in most conflict resolution situations is there's a lot more common ground than they think. But they isolate on a couple things that just gets flared up and it makes everything else 
either invisible or not noticeable because you're so focused on these two things. And once you look past those things and actually come to a common ground, you, you find that many of us are a lot more alike than we think. And I know sometimes people hear that and say, I'm not like them. It's like, no, no, let's, let's look at this from a, a objective point of view, non-judgmental. And it, it, it levels the playing field a little bit because everyone's got challenges. Everyone's got triumphs. Everybody's got wins and everyone has challenges that uh, they wish didn't happen or have happened in their life. But at the end of the day, we all, we all can grow. We can all learn from each other and all of that. So for a period right now, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are struggling. What are some things that you advise your clients and the people you talk to to do to make sure that they can mitigate some of the, the stressors and the anxiety and the other things that can come up really easy uh, during a time like this? Mm-hmm. Well, I I definitely do ask that individuals take time to be able to really assess where they are on the continuum of anxiety. Do they feel like they are overwhelmed by anxiety that is leading them to be debilitated by it and not able to leave their home, even though they may have some freedoms based upon where they live? Or do they feel like they don't necessarily need to protect themselves and where are they with their understanding of the virus in general. And once we have some information regarding where they find themselves is where do they feel like their levels of anxieties lie at this point? Um, And what sort of things do they have that they're in control of in order to be able to keep themselves safe as much as possible? Does that include hand washing? Does that include actually having services bring your groceries to your home? Do you feel like you have health conditions that lead you to be more vulnerable? So you may choose different options than another individual who feels like they are healthier and who could actually deliver things to someone else's home to assist. Do you you actually want to be an individual who is out more on the front line assisting other individuals? Does that make you actually feel more empowered? We would actually call that sublimation, where you use your feelings to be able to do something that's more altruistic and helpful for your community and your environment. Is that something that would actually make you feel more empowered and in control of how you're living your life at this time? For many individuals, actually, and I've actually written a blog about it, is how is the media impacting how you're feeling? Some people are feeling quite overwhelmed just by looking at the news and seeing the death tolls, seeing the climb in um, individuals who are being exposed and who have tested positive for COVID, now seeing the reintroduction of refrigerator trucks to be able to unfortunately house corpse. Um, And is this actually helpful for you or is this keeping you informed? Um, It could be keeping you informed and it also at the same time could be causing a traumatic crisis experience for you. Is this the best way for you to remain informed? Is there a time limit that you should use for media just to be able to gain the information that you need? And from what sources? Um, is the sources more factual based, fact based, or are they more opinion based? If you're looking for facts, how much time would you like to spend to be able to gain that information and containing that time to say, maybe I only spend 45 minutes a day to be able to get the highlights of what's happening. So then I do remain informed, but I also don't become overwhelmed by how much I'm watching. 
also is what sort of support system do you have? Do you have friends who also are equally anxious with you and that kind of fuels the anxiety? Or do you find that other individuals that you have in your life have other ways of defending against some of those anxieties that some of them are able to navigate the world in a more successful way? Are they also providing you support during this time? And what sort of support? Are they encouraging you? Or do you feel like they're promoting you to get out, but not necessarily hearing what your anxieties are? And sometimes you may feel like this person or these people can be supportive and because they're encouraging you, but if they're not hearing your anxieties, you may also feel unheard um, and not very supported within those relationships. So also gauging um, the type of support that you are receiving during this time. Yeah, all great points and I'll tie into the media thing. And I think that we may have discussed this when we were chatting before, uh, but I don't recall. When the pandemic had started and I saw, you know, television footage of you know cars in a mile long plus single lane uh, waiting to get groceries uh, because you know they were all unemployed at that particular point and they you know, didn't have money to be able to buy food so they were in line to get uh, some food uh, so they could eat and it, it triggered me because it reminded me back of you know my own um, loss back during the previous economic recession of 2008, 2009, 10. And I had my year of worst case scenarios that I like to refer to. And it triggered me. Um, and right now, thankfully, I'm not in that situation at all. I don't have any of those losses. I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, revenues coming in, eating, probably should eat less, uh, working on that. Um, my health is good. You know, and life, life is good. You know, I, I'm not happy about us being in a pandemic, but there's only so many, so many things I can control. Uh, but it, it, it caught me in it for a couple of days. I was like, why in the world do I feel in this funk? And I recognized I was being triggered by a past trauma, by something that I saw that wasn't directly affecting me, but it was definitely impacting me. So I was able to do the work that I've done before and realize, okay, this is not something that is impacting me personally it's impacting people in the world and what can i do to help and without you know being detrimental to my own well-being so you know i've i've done some things to help with that and and i think that was a big thing for me to be able to recognize that but for many people they don't have the insight or the experience to be able to understand what they're thinking uh, or feeling at a particular moment and why it's impacting so many aspects of their life. Mm -hmm. And that is a big part of what psychotherapy offers, specifically psychoanalytic and psychodynamic um, types of therapy, um, is to be able to gain a better insight as to how your past in particular is influencing or can influence your current day situation, where, like you mentioned, this example is, a, I think, a perfect one to illustrate that someone's past and what they went through in the past could trigger an emotional response and actually cause for several days a mood change. And so I think this is really important for individuals to have opportunities to be able to examine and explore their inner world and where their inner world currently actually has the roots of the past. 
Um, and that is the type of psychological work that I do offer my patients is going back into their history, talking about their childhood, talking about their early teen years and early adult lives and seeing where those connections are. So then let's say if they do see a new um, media segment that looks similar or evoke similar feelings to their past, that they are able to understand why they feel triggered, why this um, has such an emotional intensity for them. So then they're not kind of taken off guard. And even if they are, that's okay. But they at least then have the skills to be able to then slow down, perform a self-assessment, be able to identify where that link may be, and then be able to ground themselves in. Actually, I understand why I was triggered, but it doesn't necessarily reflect my current life. And so I'm okay. And now what can I do? No, it's, there's so many things that we can do. And there's with, with mental health and the professionals that work in our sector, it's crucial uh, for people that are struggling with things to go get the help and, and really focus on, on, not being so self-judgmental of themselves to reach out and get the help. So, Catherine, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Sure. You're welcome to go to my website at www.psychmindedmedia.com. Um, I'm on Instagram under Psych Minded Media. Um, there I also have my book, which is Best Psychology in Film. If you're interested in learning about the psychological dynamics that's found in different films and just to be more thoughtful regarding what you're watching and the influence it can have on your mental health. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. Catherine, always great to talk with you. Great to see you again. And I know we'll be connecting in a few weeks uh, on your show. So thanks again for your time today. Thank you, Michael. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.